Hey everybody, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles and thank you to Seminole Boosters for their support of this program and more than that, their support of Florida State student-athletes. If you're listening to this show and you're not a booster, what are you doing? Support the program and the student-athletes you care about. All the information you need is online at boosters.fsu.edu. Your gift makes an impact. It supports scholarships and sports medicine, strength and conditioning, nutrition, equipment. Buy tickets, show the student-athletes you care. All the info you need, boosters.fsu.edu. And all the info you need this week, well, here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones back with you. Keith, I feel like we just did this, but I'll be happy to talk about this game. We can do much longer than an hour today if you'd like. Uh, this is Front Row Knowles. We can just keep rolling right up until uh, the Louisville game next Friday if you want. Well, maybe we shouldn't do extended times, but maybe we'll just do an hour or two every day until the Louisville game a week from Friday. What do you think? Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. I uh, It was certainly an enjoyable weekend in NOLA. I know we already wrapped this up. I'm not going to lie. I was pretty sleep deprived and uh, maybe still enjoying some of the spirits from the night before, if you know what I'm saying, when we recorded yesterday, uh, Keith. So anyway, where would you like to begin this conversation? I would like to begin the conversation with me trying to um, protect against the uh, Jordan Travis for Heisman runaway choo-choo train. (laughs) <laughs> the more I've seen what he was able to do, the more I've looked at some of the replays, the more I've processed his statistics. I think his outing was as remarkable for him uh, as anything I've seen in quite some time. Now, don't misunderstand. I am being somewhat facetious. We, we're not getting on the Heisman uh, choo-choo train for, for Jordan. But uh, in the moment, we knew he played well. And after reviewing, he played better than well. He was fantastic. He really was. The third down efficiency was off the charts. The the throw, even the throws that weren't completed. I mean, Cam dropped one. Pittman dropped one. We talked about this the other day. Wilson dropped one. I mean, he was. LSU's got to be having nightmares thinking about it. And Brian Kelly, meanwhile, who's seen Jordan the last couple of years. And obviously the plan by LSU was to make Jordan throw and, and beat you that way. Well, he did. <laughs> he did. So LSU's got to tip their cap to him. I've had several conversations in the last couple of days from folks that I talked to who said, you know, we knew, we knew Jordan could run. There was no question about his athleticism with the ball in his hand. He had a great ability to throw relatively well on the move. So rolling him out, waggles. But if you go back and look, he didn't have that many, but there were several passes where he delivered the ball, quote unquote, from the pocket. And that's where he's made his greatest improvement from last year to this year. A, in going through his progressions and, and, and finding receiver number two and number three, sometimes when he had to move, but not because he was flush, just because he was buying himself time. But if you go back to the true pocket passes now that granted they were all from the pistol or the shotgun so it's not traditional five or seven step drop that we grew up with 
But if you look at the time he stayed in the pocket, went through his progressions and delivered the football, that's where he has shown his greatest improvement from last year to this year. He, he was really good. There's a lot of guys you could go through and offensively, obviously, Pokey Wilson. I mean, how about that guy? When, when your coaching staff goes and signs four receivers out of the portal, they're pretty much telling you if you're in the receiving, receiving room, receiver room, uh, that you're not any good because they're going to get four guys. And then there's Pokey By the way, Pokey, that kind we, of day. We, we got company coming. We got company coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and obviously a, a player can do one of two things. They can sulk, they can get despondent, they can quit, or they can do what Pokey Wilson did. And he said, okay, if that's the hand that I've been dealt, here's what I'm going to do. And, and all he did was become the, the ACC receiver of the week, one of three, by the way, which is quite an accomplishment for Florida State in and of its own right, having three, three players, players of the week. week. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he did have the drop. Now, it, it is arguable, and I will give him credence, as I will with Pittman. Those would have been great catches. They'd been remarkable catches. But, Tommy, that catch for the touchdown, that ranks right up there with, with uh, Peter Warwick's catch in the, in the 99 National Championship game for a touchdown in terms of difficulty and degree of difficulty, and he pulled it off flawlessly. Maurice Smith, another guy that deserves a tip of the cap. I didn't think that we would see him play. I knew he was back at practice, but he gutted it out. He's got to be hurting right now. I mean, that's just a handful of guys offensively. But defensively, certainly Jared Verse. I thought Akeem, Akeem Dent played well. What did you think of the safety play overall, Keith? I thought it was well. I think Akeem would be the first to tell you that that penalty for roughing the passer, you just can't have. And, and that particular series was 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 a turning point, in my opinion, when it they was, had the yeah. uh, rough in the passer and the pass interference. And it would occur, Akeem, who's a senior, and, and Jamie Robinson, who's an upperclassman, you know, they, they, that became an 82-yard drive. But the essence was it was a 52-yard drive because you had back-to-back 15-yard penalties. And that's a learning opportunity. I and, thought those and Akeem were both- and Jamie are people that know better, and now they've seen it on tape, and now it needs to register, and those are mistakes that hopefully you will not see committed going forward. I thought they were both bad calls personally, Keith, but uh, the, 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 the interference call, the, the two uh, officials who were on the sideline are much closer to the action, didn't do a thing, and it was the, the guy halfway across the field that threw that flag. Um, I understand why Akeem got the flag, but for as physical as that game was, it, it wasn't a lot there. I mean, if they wouldn't, I, and have I don't the flag, disagree I don't with you, but the reality was they were called. How about this, Tommy? I don't remember where I saw this. I should have made a note of it, but uh, I can't recall if it was uh, an NFL preseason camp or it was a college preseason tape. But uh, how about this for a teaching opportunity? There, are, there is a school or an NFL team that. On days when they have seven-on-seven, what we used to call pass skeleton, they make their defensive backs wear boxing gloves. So you you physically cannot grab a jersey and hold. Now, obviously, that limits the ability to intercept passes. But how about that for a unique training tool or training opportunity? I'm not sure I wholeheartedly agree with it, but that's some creativity right there. 
Here's something I found enjoyable, Keith. It was a long drive back from New Orleans, uh, made longer by, unfortunately, there were several accidents along I-10, and there was also a lot of traffic coming back to Tallahassee. Uh, so I blew through uh, many podcasts, uh, including several that were LSU podcasts. And uh, I, I enjoyed listening to the LSU side complain about all the things we've been fussing about for years. So, for example, their defense couldn't get off the field on third down. Well, that goes back to Charles Kelly. We've been hearing FSU fans complain about that one, right? The yep. offensive line was atrocious. Okay. We've heard that one here. It was just one after the other. The special teams play. I was like, boy, I'm just pulling out the book of what we've heard for the last several years here. There are much like you with the football. kids, Keith. I ain't got to yep. do that no more. I ain't got to do that. There's certain things in football, Tommy, that at some point in time, they're all going to recycle and come back and present their ugly head. <laughs> the, the quarterback needs to uh, come off his first receiver and find his second target. It was just one after another of everything that, that we've talked about. Um, the, the, linebacking, the linebacker play was not very good. Just, just one thing after another. It was just the bingo of what we've talked about for the last – decade probably at fsu all that means is we're just normal we're yeah. just normal exactly <laughs> right I, I can also tell you that uh i don't know I, I don't know that anybody in purple and gold really had any respect for fsu and i don't mean the team necessarily i just i think anybody i interacted with uh was horrified that they lost to fsu I'm talking from the LSU side and, and really fully expected that they were going to win that game handily. Uh, that, that's the impression I got. Matter of fact, I got on an elevator, Keith, there was five LSU fans and me. I didn't say a thing. This is right after the game, uh, maybe 30 minutes after the game. And uh, the, I guess it was the dad in the group. If the elevator starts going down, he says, what's really terrible is we lost to Florida state. They suck. This is what this guy, I said, buddy, excuse me, I'm right here. And then he apologized profusely, but there was just not one ounce of respect from any of the LSU fans. Now I understand why Florida State had been very good and it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but that was kind of the impression I got there. Well, that's also part of uh, the SEC. Uh, we're better than everyone else mentality that, that in all, in all honesty has in some, in many ways been earned. I mean, you just look at what's happened over the last 10 or 12 years and, you know, the SEC has been dominant. There's no question. But that doesn't mean it will continue, and that doesn't mean it's the way it is today either. Yeah, it was just uh, – it was interesting. Anyway, uh, Bob Ferrante will be our Osceola insider this week. He'll join us momentarily. A lot to look back on. We will uh, talk, I think, predominantly FSU football. Why not on this show? Stay with us. We're just getting cranked up here on Front Row Knowles. Some battles are worth fighting. They build character and teach important lessons. Other times, the more we resist, the longer we stay stuck. When a simple change would change everything. Is your bank holding you back? Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Changing is easy. We'll show you how. Prime Meridian Bank. Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at trymybank.com. Member FDIC. Trucks, cars, and SUVs. You name it, and we got it. With the best selection of new and used vehicles in North Florida and South Georgia, and the best prices and trade-in values every day, it's the Hobson way. And if it's service you want, Mike Tyler and his team will take great care of you and do the job right. You'll never get a better deal or be treated better than right here in Cairo, Georgia at Hobson Chevrolet. 
So whether it's sales or service, come by and see us or check us out at HobsonChevrolet.com. Buy and service your Chevrolet the Hobson way. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Florida State victorious over LSU. You know that, but you're not going to get tired of hearing people talk about it. So that's what we'll do right now as uh, we continue Front Row Knowles and open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we say hello to, hello to Bob Ferrante. Bob, uh, just like you drew it up, dominate the game and then win at the wire. Uh, but but at the end of the day, a win is a win is a win. Could have done without some of the drama. But but more than that, a very uh, feels like a big step for Florida State to, to come back with that win. I think we felt that Mike Norvell was building something through the off season, through spring and camp. And this, this team has, has worked hard. You know, all the players really made note of that Sunday night after the game, if anything, it was a tone of we worked hard and we've earned this. Now, did they try to give it away at certain parts of the game where there were their mental lapses? Sure. And, and there's a lot to love about the special teams play There's a lot to, loathe about the special teams play but in the end I think a third year program a team that's been through a lot of these obstacles and battles adversity is a, is a term that Norvell uses a lot they figured out how to make you know one one more play in the end one one really incredible play to uh to make it happen and get a win Bob I've mentioned to Tom and, and I know it's old school and our listeners get tired but it is so much easier to teach from a close win than it is to teach from a close loss or a blowout loss. And so when you talk about those uh, missteps, you'll have the kid's attention when you put that tape in and you start talking about this is what we've got to do better. This is what we've got to stay away from. I mean, this is going to be a great learning tool for Florida State in this off week, in my opinion. I think one of the maybe undervalued storylines to the win, it's Mike Norvell's first September win, truly. It's the, the, the first big win for you to build on throughout a season. And these guys are, are used to losses early and the drudgery of practice and the film study and coach is going to yell at me or my position group or, you know, my buddy screwed something up and, and we're going we're gonna to get it. And, and now they might still get it, but it's after a win, like you're saying. That's, that's great <laughs> for them. That's, that's really, really good. And, and yeah, I mean, they haven't built off of a season opening win or a 2-0 starts in 2016. So nobody on the roster has had that experience. And, and now I think, it, you know, there, there's a great debate. Would you rather play this weekend? Would you rather have the bye to recover it as a physical game and all that? I think after a really long camp, you take the bye, you're happy with the 2-0, and a couple of good practices this week, get ready for Louisville. Bob, you know full well that no coach in the history of college football has ever said it's a bad time for a bye week. That's fair. That's fair. And I think a lot of guys would love to keep playing. Um, you know, Pat and Mark Salva were talking about this the other day, and, and I think there was part of them that understands camp was an extra week this year. The LSU game was incredibly physical. You do have some injuries. You're trying to see what guy you can get back. And it is a really nice break to have two buys in a season. 
and to have it happen right before Louisville. But I, I totally get some coaches just thinking, man, I wish we could just get out there and get ready for the next opponent because I know David Hale and a lot of people don't subscribe to the momentum theory. I really, really do. I think with college athletes, you almost want to just keep going, keep them practicing, keep moving on to the next game. Well, there's enough to get them focused for Louisville, both from what FSU has shown this year and also from how FSU has played against Louisville in recent years. Matter of fact, and I don't think you would do this, but you could point out the last time FSU was 2-0, and they went on the road to Louisville, and Lamar Jackson just scored again. So, uh, I mean, there, there's there's some recent history. Uh, I'm sorry, there. Tommy. Correction. He just scored again. <laughs> oh, that was a long afternoon. You know what? I think one of the under – I don't know if it's – been talked about enough because we talk about Travis and we talk about the block kick and uh, the skill guys, Pokey Wilson. How about the fact that Florida state won the line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball. I mean, that's a good LSU defensive line. I know they lost their best player early, but FSU's OL uh, won the line of scrimmage there. And certainly FSU's DL. I mean, I, I, I was telling Keith in the first segment, I listened to a bunch of LSU podcasts. And they're, they're acting as if it's the worst offensive line in the history of LSU football. And maybe it is, but I'd like to think FSU's defensive line had something to do with that. I think there was a lot of confidence among the, both fan bases of what could happen, but it was also rooted in unknowns. You know, we hadn't seen LSU play, didn't know what was going to happen from their coordinator standpoints. Uh, Florida State fans and writers were very confident and almost all predicting a Florida State win. I thought almost all of the LSU fans and beat writers were doing the same and thinking that the Tigers were going to win. I thought, you know, purely from an offensive line standpoint, give credit to Alex Atkins for doing all kinds of things from, from a, from the standpoint of not having Bless Harris and you have to go to jazz Turrentine, a guy who's a veteran in the sec he started enough and you can kind of just plug in your next guy up. And a week before it was, you know, you can't use Murray Smith. Uh, you can't use Darius Washington. You go on your fourth string center in, in Dylan Gibbons, who really hasn't been a center. They constantly figured out who is that next guy. And, and you've had enough communication and continuity to, to make it work. On the defensive side, I think we were trying to manage expectations of Jared Verse in the offseason. And now he's just kind of blown all, all of the high-end expectations out of the water by – I mean, just really his his energetic pursuit of Jaden Daniels and and just showed what he can do, that he truly belongs on his power five level. And, and it wasn't just him. I mean, we saw some great interior play from Lovett and Cooper. We saw a lot of great pressure from the linebackers, too. So a lot of doubts about Florida State's lines. And I think really both of them showed up very much in a big, big way. Now, I do think we have to temper our excitement and, and understand that it was the first game for LSU, and so we know what goes into that. First game with a head, new head coach and coordinators for LSU. But at the same time, I, I don't know what we're supposed to do as fans to uh, be um, – what, what's the word I'm looking for? Patient or, or real or realistic – because uh, the hype is going to get away from us if we're not careful. That's my fear. I don't think it'll happen for the players, but I do think it'll happen to, to the whole nation. What do you think? I, I think that's fair. And when you have a bye week, you, you have too much time to talk and, and analyze. 
do a second watch, do a third watch, overanalyze it, then go watch, you know, Louisville versus UCF on Friday night and think about how Florida State will match up against Louisville. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of reimagining the expectations, going back to what your win-loss projections were three weeks ago and now thinking, well, is is the win total going to go from seven to eight or eight to nine? And, and you can easily let it get out of hand. I think the good thing is Mike Norvell is very much grounded in in the moment, the next practice, the next meeting, the, the game ahead. He doesn't get too far ahead and, and let the players get too far ahead either. Um, I think there's enough maturity and leadership too. Guys have been through losses and they've understood that there, there were mistakes made along the way in, in 2020 or 2021. And they're saying, hey, let's, let's not jump ahead. Let's, let's figure out that the next day is the next day. Be prepared, do our job. And, and that Louisville truly is the next game. That's the most important thing that's ahead. And I think yeah, Tommy I made think... the best point. There's not a single player on this FSU squad that has ever been 2-0 and as a Seminole. That's that's pretty sobering. Hey, did you see in the notes, do you know how many players are left on the LSU team from their 2019 national championship, Keith? Bob might have seen this. I did not. One. That was only really? 2019. It doesn't feel like that long ago. There's one player left on that roster from then, if you can believe that. Hey, Bob, hang out just a second. We'll catch up some more right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Loading the kids in the car. Brokering peace in the back seat. Mastering the snack handoff without even looking. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. We work with independent agents who keep insurance simple so you can worry about more important things like figuring out what's growing in that cup holder. That's simple human sense. Ask the Earl Bacon Agency in Tallahassee if auto owners is right for you or visit us online at earlbacon.com. Some battles are worth fighting. They build character and teach important lessons. Other times, the more we resist, the longer we stay stuck. When a simple change would change everything. Is your bank holding you back? Try my bank, Prime Meridian Bank. Changing is easy. We'll show you how. Prime Meridian Bank, Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and on the web at TryMyBank.com. Member FDIC. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank studios. continue our conversation with Bob Franti. Bob, let's go to the some of the decision-making for Coach Norvell that I know has been talked about. Would have been much more talked about had Florida State not won. But uh, before I dive into to these, I, I do need to point out, I thought he called a terrific game when you look at uh, just all the different looks from the flea flicker to, you know, the couple times they used do span on the end of rounds to all of a sudden you had a wildcat look in there. I mean, there, there was a and and one of the plays that that is, you know, in question in my mind is the the pitch, the toss dive at the goal line. But that play had worked uh, supremely about a quarter earlier to pick up a, a first down. But uh, well, since I brought that one up, your thoughts on that call? And I feel like Mike Norvell might have. I didn't hear the comment, but I think I heard somebody say that 
he acknowledged that maybe the risk wasn't worth the reward in, in that scenario, but I don't know what he said post game. Just your general thoughts on that call and that situation. Yeah, I think a lot of people are reacting and fair or unfair. You know, Greg McElroy is paid to call a game on national TV. I think he was fairly critical of the decision. I understand his point of view. Um, maybe that's, you know, the Nick Saban school where it was just very, very conservative on the goal line. You're going to hand off. Um, Again, I'll lean on Pat Burnham and Mark Salva. They've discussed it at length. They said, Mark said he's called that play in games. They've understood that was the best play for them. They practiced it, repped it, it worked, it felt good. The problem is in a game, you have that pitch on the goal line. And what if the pitch is just a little off? And it, it felt like if you're going to criticize Jordan Travis, that pitch wasn't exactly perfect. It wasn't where Treshawn Ward was leaning and running and, and maybe he just took his eye off of it or it didn't, he didn't secure it just right. Maybe the ball was a little slippery, who knows? So we can kind of critique it, but yeah, it worked earlier. It worked in practice. It's a good play. I understand the criticism of it too, but yeah, going to your point, I think this was a game where a traditional run game where you can run it between the tackles or, you can just tell somebody go get four or five yards. That wasn't going to be it. You had to use end arounds. You had to use different blocking schemes. Jordan had to be very efficient as a runner. They were remarkable on third down. I think that was one, one of my biggest takeaways was just how incredibly efficient, honestly, historically, I mean, recent historically efficient. Since 2016, they've, they have not had, um, you know, 10 or more third down conversions in a game and they had 11 on Sunday. So when you look at play calling in its entirety, as well as execution, I think you can nitpick a couple plays here and there. You can nitpick the fourth down, fourth and goal call. And was Micah Pittman the right receiver to go to in that situation? I, I get the nitpicking, but the, the major part of the body of work, you have to give Norvell, Coach Atkins, an, an A minus or, or a solid A for overall doing really what they needed to do with the personnel they had. And the, the bigger thing to me, and this has been true in the latter half of last season and certainly through two games this year, you know, it, it's a cliche, it's, it's, it's old school, but the one thing you can control is your effort. No one can dictate how hard you play other than yourself. And that was a thing that jumped out at me from, from the first snap to the last snap on that block PAT. The effort of this group cannot be questioned. I think Mike Norvell loves that about these guys. I think he wants, if you can't live in a world where you've got five stars and, and high four stars up and down your roster, live in a world where you've got three stars with chips on their shoulders and they've got a ton to prove. They've lost a lot. They're motivated. They've been through all the bad times, but they know that it's it's going to get better and they can see that light ahead. I, I think the celebration was sweeter, you know, in, in a place where you play the Sugar Bowl in, in the Superdome because those guys could really appreciate the journey that they've been through personally. And, and yeah, I mean, their best asset may just be how hard they work and that they're determined to improve, to to show that 2020 and 21 were just part of, of their journey and they're, they're looking for something much better this season.
I think they've made the turn on this concept called the climb, which is just absolute bedrock principle of a Norvell program. They understand what that means. They may not be the most gifted. They may always, they may not have the most talent, but the one thing you can control is your effort and they're going to make sure they control that. Yeah. You can't argue with that. I, I, you know, as they're lining up for the kick, uh, I, I wasn't necessarily, I mean, I, there's, there's plenty who think that uh, Kelly should have gone for two. I, I kind of felt like LSU was going to win if it went to overtime. I mean, I, I, you know, you talked about momentum, Bob, just being on the FSU sideline. I don't know where that team was going to find the energy in the five minutes between the end of regulation and the start of overtime to get their heads back in it. Um, but then the block happened and it was just pandemonium. Do we have a name for that, by the way? I was th- I forgot about the block at the rock for a little bit by Demarcus Walker. And I heard Jeff Colhane call this the block on the bayou, and I haven't come up with anything better yet. So maybe, maybe that's where this one goes down. But uh what what can you tell us about Shaheem Brown, uh, first of all? I I think Shaheem's a, a really cool story. I mean, I think most people remember the recruitment, a guy who was somehow lightly recruited out of Lake City, Columbia, a school that produces a ton of power five guys and has been a, a nice pipeline, you know, to Florida State through the years. And, and you know, Brian Allen, who made the phone call to Ron Dugans to say Shaheem is, is a guy who can play at Florida State. And they didn't really know where he was going to play. Would he be a linebacker or safety? Who knows? And his biggest play, you know, comes on special teams. Um, I, I thought it was really cool. I, I was late getting down the interview room. Sunday night, and I'm kind of hanging out there in the concourse when he walks over. And I, I turned to him and I just said, hey, is your is your phone blowing up right now? And he just said, no, no, but I got to make a phone call. And then he's calling his mom. He says, mom, 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 calm down. And, and he's he's got to tell mom to calm down because she's just going crazy back home watching this. I thought it was just a really cool, cool moment from Shaheem that, you know, he gets to kind of share that with his mom. And, and it's, it, it just shows how neat this sport is that, you know, people all across the country are watching and, and then the players get to connect with their loved ones and, and express a win. And that's, that's, what's really neat. Well, Tom and I had talked a little bit about prior to the game that, you know, you're, you're facing a new head coach, you're facing two new coordinators, the coaching staff for Florida state had to do a whole bunch of extra work over the summer and going back to pre- prior employments, prior spring games, how these coordinators and these segment coaches, you know, coach their kids at other places. And and I think Tom's version of the story where, you know, they came to coach Papoushis after the first PAT attempt and said, we, we can block this, but we, we've got to make some changes. So verse gets in and blocks a point after, excuse me, a field goal. And then they change a couple of people around, they focus on verse, and then Brown can make a block. You know, those in-game adjustments are things that coaching staffs very rarely get credit for. But that was brutally obvious in this ballgame. That was one of the things I was curious about, too, going into the game was, you know, like you said, you're, you're chasing ghosts throughout an entire offseason. You're trying to figure out what you're going to see and what you're not going to see and then adapt on the fly. And, and we we talked at length about this, that we thought that that was one of the keys to the game was how do you adapt as coaches? But yeah, it's the player's credit. You know, they're talking to coaches. Coaches are listening. In the heat of it, they're all communicating and understanding and saying, okay, well, yeah, next time 
let's do this. And I think it's just, that's a credit to good relationships between coach and player and just understanding our best option. If you have that opportunity is to go out there and try it. And it's tough to block field goal or extra point attempt. It doesn't happen very often. Although historically it did happen, you know, like Florida state did against Georgia tech a couple of years ago. It was, it was a weird week one game where Georgia tech had, had said, you know, coach Collins said we didn't practice um, because of COVID. They didn't practice a lot of special teams, you know, um, you know, upfront blocking very much as part of their, you know, their lead up to that season. So sometimes you get these weird kind of early season special team situations where it can benefit, um, you know, the field goal block unit. They can figure something out, whether it's through film study or adapting on the fly, and it either prevents points or, or just leads to a win. And in this case, it, it did both. Our boy Tom was, was clear to point out that while Georgia Tech, in fact, had gotten some, or Florida State had gotten some, whatever the case may be, uh, that Florida State did not win that game. But they did win the game against LSU. So uh, we give credit to Mr. Block as uh, to uh, stating the obvious. I had forgotten, and I don't think they were, uh, they were punt blocks, but the North Carolina win in 2020, there were a couple of punt blocks in there, or at least one big punt block that helped with that win, but nothing like this at the end of the game. Um, one more question for you, Bob, but side note, I don't think I mentioned in the, uh, in the first segment, Keith, do you know when, when, uh, Pokey Wilson uh, committed to FSU. Bob might remember this. Rough time frame, I'm, I'm talking. I don't have a clue. I do not. Sorry. Roughly two weeks after FSU beat Michigan in the Orange Bowl is when he committed to FSU in early 2017. So think about that. And he's the guy, here he is, that was the hero the other night. I mean, he committed when Florida State was in the middle of winning 10 games every year. Uh, not that he was as highly touted. He was a fine by Charles Kelly. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. Here's my question for you, Bob. I feel like everybody, uh, we, we all were treading lightly about Jared Verse because we didn't want to put unreasonable expectations on him. Uh, and I'm not going to do that now, but I am going to suggest that through two games when he has three sacks, that single-handedly changes the way every offense from here on out is going to prepare for FSU because he might be the first guy they have to account for when they game plan offensively. I mean, don't you think that's, that's what he's done through two games. Yeah. I mean, in the basketball terminology, you're at the top of the scouting report and everybody kind of knows you're going to get double teamed a lot. You're going to get chipped. You're, you're going to see all kinds of attention. The good thing is that allows your teammates around you to make plays. It's that, that's yeah. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I, I, think, I think Jared is a guy who accepts the next challenge. This is yet again the next challenge. It's not just you're going from under-recruited high school kid to FCS tight end. Now you're going to FCS defensive end and power five defensive end. And potentially everybody else knows you're coming. And, and what's, what's next? I think what's good about Jared is with a smile, he's going to work as hard as he possibly can and give as much effort as he possibly has. And, and if, if he doesn't get to the quarterback, at least he's put pressure on a guy. At least he's maybe changed a, a quarterback's you know, arm slaughter or made him make a mistake. So we'll see how it does play out. I, I, think, I think the expectations will be soaring. And I do think you know, offensive coordinators will figure out you know, how to 
neutralize him as best they think they can. I'll tell you this, guys. I, I thought Jermaine Johnson was a prototypical defensive end. His height, his weight, his wingspan, um, his, his bench, his squat, his, his power clean. But I've been paying attention to verse. And he's every bit as tall. He's every bit as big. He's got the same wingspan. He's a, he's a dynamo in the weight room. I mean, we may be watching another one. It's too early, but I'm just saying he looks the part. And, Bob, I know you know that because you've been around him. I, I think I, I kind of bought into the offseason discussion that Jared is going to be really good in 22. But if he's truly committed to a two-year plan to get him the NFL, that his 2023 could be, again, I'm not going to say he's going to have double-digit sacks next year, but I think it could be a very effective, disruptive season if he's truly invested in making this a, a two-year run. I, I think he's a guy who's going to be very impactful moving forward for sure. Yeah, well, based on his start, let's hope that he does come back and that the second verse is the same as the first because it looks like it's going to be a pretty good one this year. Sorry, on that note, we'll take, take a break. How long did it take you to come up with that, Tommy? How uh, long did was, it take you, know, you to come up with that? That kind of original content, it was in the last five seconds of what Bob uttered. It just popped right in here. That's that's the beauty, Keith. I mean, it's amazing. Bob, thank you, I'll sir. I'll write it down. Listeners, I'm sorry. We'll finish up the show right after this. Trucks, cars, and SUVs. You name it, and we got it. With the best selection of new and used vehicles in North Florida and South Georgia, and the best prices and trade-in values every day, it's the Hobson way. And if it's service you want, Mike Tyler and his team will take great care of you and do the job right. You'll never get a better deal or be treated better than right here in Cairo, Georgia at Hobson Chevrolet. So whether it's sales or service, come by and see us or check us out at HobsonChevrolet.com. Buy and service your Chevrolet the Hobson way. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto owners works with independent agents who answer when you call. So you can worry about more important things. Like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Ask the Earl Bacon Agency in Tallahassee if auto owners is right for you or visit us online at earlbacon.com. We're back. Bad puns and all. Tom and KJ with you a few more minutes ago. Thanks to Bob Ferrante for uh, joining us there. And uh, Keith, Florida State gets an off week again. Who's going to complain about it right now? Uh, I think they need it personally. I think that was a physical game and they got some guys who could use the extra time. I also think there's some things that they could they could clean up. Obviously, we saw we saw some of those mistakes, but but, man, if you think about some of those drives when they stayed on the field the other day, Keith, I mean, seven-minute drives, 12-play drives, 14-play drives, and it was all about the third-down conversions. But if you're going to get that out of FSU, it's going to be a fun season. I would agree. And, and, you know, if you take away that last drive and prevent defense, defensively your statistics are off the charts as well. That, that 99 yards doesn't help the overall scheme of things. But you take that away, you've got to be very, very pleased with the way the defense performed. So let's let's talk about that last drive, Keith. Uh, I mean, what what did you see as a former DB? Uh, and and I guess the context I'll put is nobody's in love with the prevent defense. But if, if you're playing your regular defense and you get beat deep and give up an 80 yard play in nine seconds, 
nobody's happy about that either. So what, what did you it's see? Certainly, it's certainly a balance. My only criticism, and I'm confident that Adam and Randy would, would listen, is it appeared. I, I mean, I didn't have all 22. I was watching it on TV. I only had what TV was showing. But it appeared they never changed up their defense. There are things you can do in prevent. For example, you can go what we used to call five-man under where it's the old Tampa two, you got two safeties, but you go man underneath with corners and linebackers. And that allows them to trail receivers, which means they can undercut out routes. Now I'm not saying you do that every play, but you run your traditional prevent zone a time or two, and then you go man under and you go back to zone and then back to man under and you, you mix up what you're doing so that you don't allow them and credit to LSU and credit to Daniels. They converted those out routes. They made successful pitch and catches and got out of bounds and worked the ball down the field. But there are things you can do within prevent just to give them a different look and still be protected from giving up that 80-yard, 90-yard touchdown in nine seconds. That's my only criticism. Yeah, and it's and it's certainly it's teachable moments. What did you think about the the corner play? There's been a lot of talk about Duke Cooper not being what he was last year, and I don't know what injury he's coming off of, or or I don't know, you know, how fixable is that? Uh, but but just in general, from the you know from the outside guys, well, well, you can throw Kevin Knowles in there too, but from the corners in general, I, I thought the corner play was acceptable. I, I didn't see anything that you know stood out in, in a big way. Uh, I'm and you as well, you know, we're old school from the standpoint, we remember that, you know, all we wished is that nobody would run free. You know, there'd be no busted assignments and nobody would run free. So maybe our standard, our expectation is a little lower than it should be, but I don't have any, you know, true criticism. I haven't seen the individual breakdown. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't sitting in a, in a film room with uh, the segment coaches saying, this is what you were supposed to do and here's how you did or didn't do it. Uh, but as a, a just a broad overview, I didn't see anything that caused me grave concern. No. So through two games, uh, Florida State sitting two and zero, you can't do better than that on the one loss record. I, I feel pretty optimistic about both sides of the ball overall, Keith. I mean, I think there's uh, the offensive line. I mean, you lose Bless Harris, that's not good, and I don't know what the prognosis is. He was, you know, not dressed out the other day, and yet you still beat up LSU at the line of scrimmage, which is not to say you're perfect. Uh, and then defensively, I think there's a pretty good bait. The linebacker play is much improved, much improved from what it's been. And that, that front four is they're going to, they're going to cause a lot of problems for most opponents on this schedule this year. You know, one of the things that I think we have to be careful about with the front four is recognizing that if they are doing their job correctly, they may not get the tackle and they may not get the pressure and they may not get the sack because that's the linebackers and the nickels job to do. So in a truly gifted defense, your front four don't get big statistics. You know, it's, it's genuinely and usually a defense that's struggling that will have one or maybe two players that have those outstanding statistics from a pressure and a sack and a tackle for loss standpoint, but the defense is still giving up 500 yards a game and 40 points a game. So I think we have to be measured in how we judge what those, those tackles and those defensive ends are doing. Because in a truly gifted defense, 
nobody's a superstar. Everybody does their job. Well, to that point, I can tell you whose tackle total is going to be down this year, and that's Jamie Robinson. And you never want your safety leading the team in tackles anyway. Not at all. That's that's. But 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 those linebackers lead the conference. You never want to lead the conference in number of punts, and you never want your safety to be your leading tackle. Those are two well, stats the, you just don't want. The the linebackers are going to take a lot of those tackles away from Jamie Robinson this year. Correct. The way they're going to play. So they're, they're just not going to get back there. All right, we're out of time. We will do this again next week, Keith. Uh, well, maybe we'll just do it again tomorrow. We'll just keep talking an hour about the game every day. He's Keith. All, I'm I, Tom. Have, this all is- I have to say is Florida State 5-0 over the Gators on the soccer pitch. That's all I got to say. There you go. There you go. How could we should have started with that? Anytime you beat the Gators, we should start there. But instead, we got to end there. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.